Hello and a big welcome to Happy Place, the show that helps you uncover your creative passions. I'm Fern Cotton and today I'm chatting to Olivia Harrison. Being here now, what else is there? Past is gone, thou canst not that recall. Future is not, may not be at all. Present is, improves a fine hour. Present only is within thy power, is written on the house I live in. <laughs> and that's it. Present is, it's now. Olivia is an author, philanthropist, and award-winning producer. She's also the widow of Beatles musician George Harrison and has now written a book of absolutely stunning poetry called Came the Lightning. I've got goosebumps just thinking about it. Where she's reflected on her life with George and really examined the intimacy of their emotional bond. There's also a lot in there about the concept of losing a partner and the passing of time all of which are things it was just a huge privilege to get to explore more with her at the Happy Place Festival. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com. All right, let's do it. Here's the show. I'm so honoured to have you here. Thank you. I'm thrilled to have you here. So Thank welcome you. to the Happy Place Festival. All of these people are lovely and kind and gorgeous. It's a very nice atmosphere. Honestly, it really is. I don't think we want to go back outside the gates. <laughs> I know. I just want to really live nice, in here huh? forever. Right. It's so lovely. Life is easier at the Happy Place Festival. Everyone's just so nice. Yeah. It's kind atmosphere, good energy. We're loving it. Um, thank you for being here. I know that you've had a, a busy summer. One of the reasons is this gorgeous book, these exceptional poems and some beautiful imagery in there as well. I've read that you say poetry chose you. For this particular moment in your life, how did poetry come to be for you? Well, it's a little complicated story. Actually, a couple of years ago, I'm going to tell you the real deal. Uh, I, I've always written, in, and, and I've written a few poems over the years, just to myself, like I'm sure all of you have. But a couple of years ago, I had a little funny turn, as you call it. It's I wrote, a very British thing to say. It is. <laughs> funny turn. You know, I had a little, I had a 12-hour um, amnesia. And uh, really stress and just overthinking everything. And we were at an event, and suddenly I just wasn't sure what was going on. It was very, really interesting, but not entirely unpleasant experience. Uh, a friend of mine who was a neurologist, geneticist, called me up, a friend, and he said, um, your brain needs a massage. Mm. You should read poetry for the next three days, literally. <laughs> and I did. And I 
began writing in this form. That really happened to me. I know you didn't expect that answer, but that's how it came to be. Well, that's such what an amazing prescription. It Rather was. Than being something somber or, I don't know, it just feels like reading poetry is what a amazing. wonderful thing to do. What a wonderful person. It, you know, he, it wasn't, no, take this, take that. This yeah. will never happen again. We don't know why sometimes they can say it's a migraine or some kind of an aura. You know, it's not going to happen again, but you should, you should have a little massage there. Read some poetry because he loved poetry. And I did. And lo and behold, this form sort of did choose me at that point. And I'm ever so grateful for that. Oh, well, so are we, because we've got this beautiful book now. <laughs> but you, you had this, this time out where I'm sure you had some time for reflection, but also mm. mental rest, which we're all awful at. We're all completely obsessed with keeping our minds busy, yeah. moving on to the next thing. What are we doing? Thinking ahead, thinking into the past. Doing something like reading poetry, which really requires you to be in the present moment and to enjoy what that brings and the creativity of it. I can see how that's a very healing thing. But how did you go from that to go, right, I'm going to now have a try myself and, and see what comes out? Was it quite soon after that period? It was, but not these particular poems. I think that might have happened four or five years ago. I started, I live in this old house. I started thinking about the people who lived there before me. And I was going back to sort of 1860. And I was thinking, oh, Reverend Prowse and Reverend Collard and Mr. Morton and Mr. Crisp and so-and-so and George and <gasps> me. I'm next. Wow. And it was, you know, it's like, oh, we're all so busy in the garden and doing what we're doing. And so I started thinking about what that would be like, you know, if I'm leaving my garden, leaving my grounds. And I started to write about it. All the wonderful things that had happened under that tree. What happened in that moss? What happened by the bonfire? What, ha you know, as I get to the gate, you know, no footsteps taken backwards. Just the hill that I'll descend. And I thought, so I wrote that, and I thought, oh, people are going to think I'm just really depressed. I, this, is, this is just, uh, I'm going to write the beginning. Then I'll write the middle. And so it started like that. Really, I was just reflecting upon the past and what brought me into the now. And poetry has this ability to get to the root of a feeling. And you've written books before, I love writing. You can get into a, a, a moment, a situation of reflection, something that's happened in the past, and you can do that with you know, writing if, a diary, a journal, or a book, but poetry is like one layer beneath that. It, it feels deeper. It feels more personal and more intimate, and, I, and I'm imagining, certainly with these poems, that they flew out of you, because they're feelings that you know and that you understand. Was it quite a fluent process? It, it was. Uh, uh, it had a momentum of its own. Yeah. And I actually, once I, it started flowing, I could say things that I couldn't say if I was writing an autobiography. And I, I think uh, I, I've read some autobiographies, and I find them interesting about other people, but I didn't want to write like that. I didn't want to say, and then this happened, then we did this and did that. I wanted to really get to the core of, you know, one of the poems is about George's body. 
you know, his hands, his eyes. I wanted just to get deep into what I, what I felt, what we felt. And I, think, I don't think I could have gone any deeper yeah. in, a, in another form. Well, because obviously we've seen the beautiful documentary that you made about George. I rewatched it last week mm -hmm. uh, with Martin Scorsese. It's just the most sublime footage and, and lots of lovely interviews. And you've written about George. But having the expression through the medium of poetry, it does feel like, oh, this is the real George. This is the George that... Because we all will have um, an idea of who George Harrison was to us as fans, fans of mm -hmm. music or fans of the, the other projects that he, was, that he was putting out there. But for you to be able to describe, this is the George that I knew intimately and that was you know, the, the George doing the gardening, the George as a dad, I think that's, that's really apparent in this book. It feels super personal. It, it is very personal, just like, you know, any of you would write about a, a close relationship. You know, if you really want to get down to it, what's it like? What is, we really stop in our mindfulness. What was it like taking a walk with somebody? You know, what was it like sitting around a fire with someone? The real things the real moments, and, and also, you know, a span of time and how one evolves within your life with someone else. Because you meet someone, you're two people, you, you change, you have to change, you're evolving. Um, are you evolving away? Are you going together? Are you getting, you know, it's like everything is changing all the time. Mm. That's a challenge, you know. Yeah, a long relationship. Absolutely, and and it is it is deeply personal. And there were moments where I felt so moved. Reading specifically, came the lightning, came the light, and the poem "Another Spring," which are very heavy moments, but described so beautifully. Um, some of them depicting the last moments of, of George's life. How was it reflecting back on those more painful moments in? in such an acute way, where you were, you're really digging around in those moments, and, and I'm sure feeling a lot of those emotions that, that you were feeling at the time. You know, sometimes you don't know where it's going. You know, sometimes you don't know why you're writing about something, and then you, it, it suddenly appears, it presents itself. I'm sure writing a novel, you, people write stories, they don't really know how it's gonna end. You know, in this case, I did. <laughs> but, you know, we had a... Uh, I, I wrote something called Heroic Couple uh, about a night that George and I had a violent attack. People said, why did you write about that? And I thought, okay, I didn't... I was just writing. But in the end of it, really, why I was writing it was, you know, if you spend your life trying to have a, a death, let's, you know, that's how you want it to be. And he managed to do that. And that's really why I was writing it. It's like it didn't come in that form. It came in a way that he controlled, you know, even though he was ill. I know this sounds really depressing, but it's like, you know, you live your lives and we think about we're not always going to be here. How do we want to leave? You know, maybe we don't have, or maybe we're not in charge of that, but I think however it comes, we should be somehow prepared and ready to go. Because yeah. really, attachment is what causes pain. And if we're, and that's what the lightning is about too. In Buddhism, there is 
a period of lightening. That's why it's not lightning strike, but it's a lightning where we let go of all our attachments. And, you know, in that lightning, I said, you let go of all you loved. One of them was me. We have to let go of everything. Um, we have to let go of our bodies. And I saw him in the most beautiful way become the person or the being that he always wanted to be. Just like we know how we want to feel. We don't always feel that way. You have, we have these moments of joy and happiness. That's who we are. Mm. And, you know, the lightning is the letting go of the angst, of anxiety, of everything. And, and within us is that pure being. And um, it was a, a privilege and an honor to, you know, to be able to witness that. Because I, I've read you say before that that night where you had the intruder into your home and, and attack you both, which was horrendous, it was only a year after that George passed away. And you say that life just sped up from that point on. It just flew by. But were you able to, to see those moments at, during that period where you witnessed George having that experience of understanding that he would have to let go of his physical form, of go on to wherever he was headed next? Yeah, I'm sort of a hypervigilant. <laughs> you know, uh, I became much more aware and awakened in all my senses. And um, it's good. You know, sometimes I'm a little hypervigilant, but, you know, there's so much going on mm -hmm. in, in life, in every moment. And, you know, it's the balance of how not to get overwhelmed by it but to just be a witness of what's happening around us. Yeah. And I, I, again, I love the poem Heroic Couple where you illustrate that terrifying evening of, of where you had the intruder come in. You actually ended up fighting him off with, a, with an iron bar to save George's life. I mean, this was a really serious moment. It was, it was unbelievable. How did you recover from that shock? Because... I think I would be on high alert from then on and feel panic and not safe if I was out and about. How did you recover from that to trust again that things would be okay? Uh, I think you do become more, well, definitely became more vigilant because like we've all had experiences, life can change on a, on a dime, you know? Um, I don't know. It's like I didn't have anything against the guy. I still don't. You know, I didn't know him. There wasn't any anger involved. There was really only love involved. It's not like I was, you know, I never want to hurt a person, ever. And uh, that's, I think maybe that was the biggest challenge. But there wasn't any anger involved. And it just kind of came and went. I wrote in the book just a ruffle of the pages in the order of all things. You know, sometimes things happen in life and it's like somebody, George Usell, it's like somebody tore a page out of that script and stuck something else in. And, um, you know, just, I'm resilient. <laughs> I mean, you really are, because I don't, I don't know if I would recover that pragmatically from something like that, to have that mindset to go, it happened, and I'm now moving on from it. Yeah, but you have to think, too, like, what was going on there? Who are we? Who was that guy? What karma did we have? 
you know, did we have, is there some, something else going on or we don't know about? And he's a victim too. So had to have some compassion for that person because certainly the real person inside of him did not want to be doing that. Yeah. So, you that's know. That's a very expansive mindset, I think, to have in a, in a situation like that, but one that certainly clearly served you well because you have been able to move on from it and not have that anxiety following you around that something like yeah. that might happen again. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. Yeah. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com I also adore the imagery in the book, which is at times photographic and, and showing the gardens and the grounds and this sort of magical world that you and George created together. Was that very much a sort of safe haven for you, somewhere that as a couple... You <laughs> Evidently would, well, not. after that story, <laughs> clearly not. But I guess more mentally, somewhere that you felt like, we've created this, this is our, this is our space, this contains our magic, and I'm sure it still feels like that for you today. Yeah, I'm a, a garden fanatic, and, um, you know, I love... It, gardening is like painting, really. It's my way of creating art. Yeah, it, it was a, um, a derelict, rundown hammer house of horrors, really, when George got there. And we just, over a lifetime, you know, you just, we, we didn't set out to sort of restore this place, but if enough time passes, you, you know, you end up improving your surroundings, so. And does it, you know, you still live there now, so does that help you in some way connect to George, seeing what you created there together? Um, yeah, it does, but, you know, it's a different place now. There's a lot of energy, a lot of people coming and going, a lot of art, a lot of creativity going on there, and hopefully there will be, you know, put to some bigger purpose. Mm, it's beautiful. I love the imagery in it. But when you get this book, if you buy it later, the uh, the shrubs, I don't know, the topiary, that's the correct term, yeah, isn't it? The yeah. topiary is outstanding, guys. It's unbelievable. The shapes, it's just there, utterly stunning. Um, now, obviously, this weekend, what we're trying to do is obviously help everybody leave feeling happier, lighter, better than they arrived, myself included, and I've certainly had the, that experience from just everyone's kindness, but also all the different workshops that are going on and You'll see when you walk around, there's meditation tents and yoga and all sorts of practices like that, esoteric practices that have been around for thousands of years that we're very happily borrowing and using to, to help us feel better. But of course, the Beatles were doing all of this before anyone you know, in the UK. They brought a lot of it, they normalized a lot of this stuff, certainly That's with meditation. True. And it was probably the first time my parents would have heard of that term, meditation, what is it? And clearly it changed them musically, how they thought, how they went about their life. How are you, you were already on this path before you met George, I do believe. So can you tell me how you were introduced to meditation, how it's helped you? And, and I guess also 
um, how your practice may have differed to George or your different ways of thinking around spirituality and, and using these practices? Well, I think, first of all, it's amazing. Everybody's here. I'm just walking in here. I wanted to jump on one of those trampolines. <laughs> and then I you can feel free. That was really cool. Um, yeah, you know, I got into meditation in 1972, before you were all born, and, uh, um, you know, started going to some lectures and classes. I met George in 1974, you know, so we shared a, that interest, although we had different, different, completely different paths. You know, there's a goal. So many words to describe whatever that goal is, I won't even try. But, you know, your own personal goal for enlightenment, for realization, for just being a better person, for peace of mind, you can call it whatever, whatever you feel. But um, they certainly had a head start. George was very disciplined in that. Even though he led a very dualistic life, as we all do, we live in a duality. So, you know good, bad, up, down, but he always had that. He was always disciplined in his practice, and that's really important and something that, to this day, I'm, you know, that would be my pledge. Yeah. <laughs> to, to really pay attention to the inner voice that's saying, take that time, because um, there's enough going on around here. It's what's the inner going on inside. Mm. And there are so many... Uh, you know, I've, I've done different practices, and uh, there are people I revere, you know, just bring some awareness into our ourselves and everyone around us, too, you mm. know, every sentient being. That's the deal, you know. Is it a daily practice for you? It is, you know, but I, you know, sometimes I'm thinking about that practice, not actually practicing. Let's be honest here. But um, that is my goal. That is my daily goal. Thank I think that's really um, encouraging to hear because I've been very honest about this with all of you this weekend. I and mean, when I've done podcasts previously, sometimes I will be disciplined about doing meditation or doing something else I know just essentially makes me feel good and shuts out the outside noise. And other times I think, oh, I can't be bothered. I can't be bothered. I'm just going to go and do cook something or go on my phone or do something that's probably not quite as, as helpful. So I think it's always good to hear, certainly from people like yourself that have been practicing for years and years, that you don't always want to do it. Yeah, you know, and here's the thing, as you probably all know, you know, you get that window where you're just right in the right moment to do it. And if you don't, that's it. You're done. That's it for your day. And it's just like, that's when we have to be mindful and really mind the mind and say, yes. I'm going to do this. I think this, we've done a lot of, uh, I guess, different episodes over the years looking at, it's usually the morning, that important transition between being asleep and then the day. And if you don't start it well with whether it is meditation or just not going on your phone for the first hour or whatever yeah. it is, that changes the whole day. It's such an important moment to get right if you can. And... I'm not sure if you do a very sort of traditional type of meditation today, but it doesn't have to be sort of you sitting there in silence for an hour. It could be whatever makes you introspective or have that awareness, I guess. Bringing your mind back to the point, back to the awareness. Just keep bringing it back. Let the thoughts go by. Watch them go by. Yeah. Just keep bringing it back. And obviously, if you have time, we all have time. 
We think we don't, but we I do. Know. <laughs> I mean, we don't. When I say we have time, that's like an assumption. You know, never, nobody ever knows how much time we have, but in a day, we all should be able to find time to practice something or stop and say a little something for maybe somebody else who's not having a good day. This, is, this kind of group is really important. I think it potentizes the, the good feeling, you know, when you're, it's exponential when people come together. So that's really important. That's really a good service that well, you Well, I feel so happy because sometimes when we're all having a bad day, we'll go, oh God, everyone's an arsehole. I hate everyone. There's no good people on the planet. And then you come here and you go, everyone's nice. Yes. There's loads of good <laughs> people out there. Like the world is full of very kind. And I think most people want to be kind, want to be lovely, want to show their best selves. They want to be of service, all that stuff. But maybe it is as simple as if you don't start your day right, you might not end up doing that. It's mm -hmm. just having that, that time and that introspection. And, and I wonder what else has helped to, I guess, anchor you throughout, whether it's grief or just your life in general, navigating just everyday life. What's, what's helped you to stay centered, grounded, self-aware? Friends. Mm. And I think it's really, really important to have like-minded friends, people to support you, bring you back to where you need to be. Like, you're being a jerk. <laughs> you know, you really need people, to, friends, who yes. will tell you, you know, you're, you've lost it, the plot. <laughs> uh, I think that that is really important. And I, um, sisters and brothers will always tell you that. Old friends will always tell you. But also to have people, uh, they call a sangha, you know, your group of... Uh, people who maybe do the same practice as you do, because it's support. It's hard to do it alone on your yeah. own. Yeah, it is. I think it that's is. so important. Um, a, a lady who's been here today called Giselle, who she did some sessions today and yesterday, said to me at one point, sort of, create your, um, like your soul family. You know, create yeah, Absolutely. Have people around you that make you feel your best and, and have, it doesn't have to be similar interests, but certainly are able to buoy you when you need it and, to, and for you to be able to do that to them. I think soul family is so important. And but that's what's happening here, right, in this yeah. room right now. It's just so great. You know, I feel a, a big... Yeah. I really feel a, a good, you know, release to, you know, to know that everybody's here for this, for their higher self. Yeah. It's like... Yeah. We need that. We do, we do, because you know, we all know, and it's probably why most of us are here, definitely myself included, the world can feel like a negative place, not just mm. from what I said earlier about, oh, everyone's an idiot, but just from how the media operates and all the information that we're bombarded with constantly, it's all negative. You know, the word news, it, we now only believe to be a, a negative thing. It's a neutral word, the word news. News could be a good thing, you know, I've met someone amazing, or I've got a new job or whatever, but we think news is now, oh my God, That's doom right. and gloom and horror. So we do need to, to counterbalance it with something that makes us feel good. And I think, you know, that's why I was so intrigued by this book because I, I find reading poetry very therapeutic, but I think writing it is, is something else. And there could be people sat here today or listening thinking, well, I'd love to try poetry, but I've never done it. It's quite a scary, uh, perhaps a vulnerable thing to try something new like that. And obviously this was a new thing for you to an extent. So 
what should your first steps be? What was your process to go, I'm going to try something new? And to put these poems out there that are very personal, it is a vulnerable thing. They're very, very close oh, to your is. heart. My, my son was saying, you know, you're not ready. <laughs> you don't know what the next step is. But actually, you know, I've reached a point in my life, what, when, what are we holding back? What are we waiting for? You know, maybe that's, maybe you've already realized that. But for me, it's like, we've always been so private and everything. It's like, what are we, what are we hanging on to here? Yeah. So, I mean, actually, I was, um, there was a poem by Edna St. Vincent Millay, and it just, it, it was about April. And a lot of poets have used April. And it was like, that April should be shattered by a gust, that August should be leveled by a rain I can't endure. And she's talking about, but that a dream can die is something that would always be a pain. And uh, I thought, April, April, another spring. You know, you always want one more spring. And that was um, a famous gardener here in England, Beth Chatto. And she said to George once, you know, George, you only have so many springs to get it right in the garden. And we were like, oh, my God, we better get moving. Yeah, you know, that's a terrifying whoa, thought. When you put in think, sort of, she yeah. was like, oh, you know, you've only, we've all, how many springs do we have? And it's like, yeah, all right, you know. And um, it, was, it was a good thing to say, because yeah. think of that. And now, I, I, in my garden, I don't even like to allow people to say, well, next year. It's like, don't say that. No, you no. Say, well, how do you know? How do you know we're going to be here next year? So let's get, chop, chop, let's get this God, going. that's terrifying. How many springs do I have left? Yeah. I think about that. Right. And so... God. You know, I started, that's what I, and that's what started the first poem, which was all I wanted was another spring. You know, was that so much to ask? The, writing it taught me a lot. I'm sure everyone in here has written something every single day. I bet you've all got amazing poetry and stories, and I, I'm just sure of it. Yeah. You know, I just feel humbled by that process that happened to me and, and writing those. And then I, I really uh, inspired myself. Mm. Amazing, you know? It's like, what, it's like what you just said. What is holding us back? Like I met a lady earlier called Lisa, who I'd met at our festival in 2019. And we'd had a, a chat and she was saying, oh, I'd love to write a book. And I went, just go and do it. And I sort of said it very flippantly, perhaps not really giving it much thought, but I'm glad I did because she came back today with the book. <laughs> that she'd yeah. written. Yeah. And I was like, that is so freaking cool. We're holding the book right now. And, you know, and, and she was, she's like, I'm dyslexic. This wasn't an easy process, yeah. but she did it. And I think we've all got, it doesn't have to be a book in us, but we've all got something in us that we're desperate to do, a way, uh, a means of expression, something that we just feel like, I would love to give that a go. And uh, I guess it does take a moment of introspection to go, what is that thing holding us back? Is it our fear of failure? or that will be rejected by other people. You know, what is, what is holding us back? I think that's, it's an interesting question to ask yourself. Yeah, I think sometimes you get things bubbling out here and they're really important and they just keep simmering and simmering and you're going, then one day you just go, oh yeah, uh, and bring that to the forward. That's sort of what happened to me. It just shoved it into the, into the foreground. And uh, that also made me more aware of, of listening to Myself, yeah. listening, not, not all the baloney I'm, uh, going on in my <laughs> head, but, you know, things that keep recurring. It's like, yeah, what do you, why are you ignoring that? Yeah. And there's a time when you can't ignore it anymore. That's right. And that's 
sort of what happened with, with these poems. And George has been gone 20 years, and, and then I had a, maybe nine, 10 poems, and I thought I'll keep writing, and then I'll have 20, and then that's an offering to him that I think he deserved. From me personally, not, I've worked on a lot of his music and his legacy, but I wanted to do something personal from me. And that's, that's yeah. it, really. Well, the results are utterly beautiful. And I know, like you just touched on a moment ago, you were very private as a couple. He was very private mm -hmm. as a musician and someone highly revered. Was that quite liberating to go, I don't have to be like that. I could say what's going on in my heart and my head. Was that quite a liberating very, thing? Yeah, very liberating. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I, don't, I can't say I wish I'd done it sooner. You know, sometimes... I wish I had done a lot of things years ago that you all have the opportunity to do, whatever that may be. Don't wait. Don't wait. You know, just do it. You've got to just do it without a doubt. I mean, I think, yeah, like lovely Lisa, who I met earlier, you, you do have to sort of break through those own personal barriers, don't you? And go, my God, how many springs have I got left? Oh my God. And I think, am I right in thinking, is it a, a Buddhist tradition to sort of think about death quite regularly, almost daily, to, to not shy away from that. And that question of how many springs I have to make you be very reactive in the moment, to do what you want to do and to live more presently, I guess. Yeah, all of that is, is, is true. You know, we're all here, happy place. We all want to go home happy. Nobody yes. wants to go thinking, da, da, da. No, no, no. Uh, we don't want to go home like that. But... It is liberating, you know, it is liberating. I, and I think sometimes, the, you know, the fear of something is so much worse than the actual yep. thing. And, uh, you know, sometimes, whether you're at the dentist or you're doing, you know, something, you think, oh, the needle in the eye, oh, oh. Yeah. I don't feel anything. And, and it's liberating. Yeah. And even having some experiences, like, the, you know, the scariest thing, the thing you dread the most when that happens, it's like, Okay, yeah. it was the worst thing, but you know what? That's behind me. Yeah, that's and it is everything that we face is liberating. Yeah, I watched some beautiful um, interviews of, of you and George together, and also you on your own over the years. And there was one story you were telling it in a in a video chat that you were doing a while back, saying that George would say to you, "Be here now." Yeah, that was very much a phrase that he would that he would sort of say to you and your son, Danny, be here now. Is that something you are good at doing, being in the present? Do you find yourself racing into the future, going into the past? Yeah, I do. I mean, in a way, that's why it was good to do this and bring it into the now and not just look back on it. But being here now, what else is there? Past is gone, thou canst not that recall. Future is not, may not be at all. Present is, improve the fine hour. Present only is within thy power, is written on the house I live in. <laughs> and that's it. Present is. It's now. What's happened in our past brings us to where we are. Like that experience I had. There was a thing. I, I, I just didn't really remember any. I remembered who people were, but I didn't really, wasn't, I was so in the now. I was so in the now. It was really existential. Kind of amazing experience. Yeah. But I realize you need a little bit of the past and a little bit of where you're going to have context about the now. Forget everything. Now isn't as vivid for some, or, you know, there's something 
not there. You need a little patty on either side. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, I can see that because yeah. the past allows you to learn lessons and grow and yeah, make exactly. changes. And the future, I guess, can be quite inspirational in terms of your goals and your dreams. But you've got to live in the middle bit with, I guess, that That's view it. of both. And it's never easy. I mean, it's certainly why I do a lot of this work because I'm desperately trying to not... I'm better at not looking into the past because I've made peace with some, some things. But the future, I still find myself going, but what if, and what if the awful thing, and being quite negative about that. And I guess the only way to mitigate that is to go, I'm not there. I'm not there yet. I'm, I'm here, and that's all I can do. How did writing poetry help with grief? Because obviously, it doesn't matter how much time has passed. Grief hmm. is undulating. Um, yeah. So how, how has, has it helped you, I guess, is the question. Yeah, I've re it actually has. It's a good word that grief is undulating mm. because I always say grief has its own time frame. You know, it doesn't ask to come in, you know, and it doesn't come in every morning at 10 o'clock. Just something triggers something. And um, I just read something saying grief is the highest form of love. Is this a form of love? Um, it has helped because it just, you know, it just took off the rough edges and softened things of the past. But, you know, grief can get a hold of you in a, in a, in a big way, but you just, have to, it, you just have to let it wash and wash you and face it, go through it, just hit it head on. That's my philosophy. Mm. Don't try and run from it because you can't. Nice. Just face it and get it out of the way. Yeah. And did you learn... Anything new about your own feelings, whether it's towards George or your life or anything else you I'd, experienced? Yeah, I did. You know, I, I did. Just, um, I mean, maybe we, before we end, I'll just, could I read one? I'll just read oh one my God, little please. one. And then, and then we'll, we'll go, go home or something. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Or go home or something, I guess. I don't. Uh, Nothing somewhere. else to do. Just no, home. I don't know. You know, I don't want to keep. You know, we don't want to. <laughs> no, please. You no, you're not going. boring us. Are you crazy? Yeah. God Almighty, Olivia, stop! Please read to us. You know, George. He used to say, you know, um, guitars are a lot like women. You know, some are blonde, some are redhead, some are dark, some have big curves, some are smaller and stuff. And um, so I wrote this. Her or me. Three words of love, a kiss on the head, a hint of your smile so easily led by diminished chords and open tuned strings, Sanskrit mantras, om, freem, clean. My nervous whistle became the first note, soon to be known as a song that he wrote. At the flick of a butter knife ringing a glass, cut crystal rhythms and spoon castanets. A silent guitar, sometimes ignored, then caressed and strummed, he fell in love once more. Round and curvaceous, like a woman, you see. I wondered if he loved her much more than me. <laughs> oh. It's so beautiful. Thank you so, so much for reading that. I love the book. Let's all just try writing some poetry as well, I Yes. Let's just do it. Let's just have some fun and like work out how we feel about stuff. Because I often, even if I'm not writing poetry, I'm just freely writing. I go, I didn't know I felt like that. And it's, it's so 
interesting what you can learn about yourself when you put pen to paper or if you want to type, whatever. I love using pen, a beautiful notepad. That really gets me going. But I think, let's all go and write poetry, be massively inspired by Olivia. It's been an absolute joy to have you here Thank and you. to talk to you today. Thank you, and, and you for having organizing and bringing everybody together. She deserves a big Oh, really. It's been yeah. a joy. It's been a total joy. And um, I've loved it all. If I don't get to see all of you before you go, thank you so much for coming to the festival. It's been the most unbelievably joyful weekend for me and the whole team, so thank you. And uh, I guess we will now go home or something. Um, <laughs> please give it up for Olivia Harrison. Oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> you are amazing. Oh, thank you so much. Oh, my gosh. Just listening to Olivia's voice made me feel calm. It was almost like listening to a glorious meditation. So much wisdom, so many beautiful stories. I could just listen to Olivia speak all day, especially the part where she read one of her poems. What an absolute treat. I feel quite emotional about all of that. Thank you so much for joining us at the Happy Place Festival, Olivia. That beautiful book of poems is called Came the Lightning, and it's out now. I'll be back again tomorrow, chatting to someone the whole nation absolutely bloody loves. So do click the follow button on your podcast feed so that every new episode of Happy Place drops onto your device as soon as it's available. Thank you so much to Olivia for coming to the festival and sharing so much with us on stage. To the producer Anushka Tate at Rethink Audio and to you wonderful people. You are simply the best. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com.